Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Hey there, my beautiful red women. It's Elaine Kalila back here, and I am so delighted today. I have a real treat for you in store. I've been stalking this woman. <laughs> I can say that for like years. And um, her name is Damasina. Hi, Damasina. It's beautiful to be here with you. So what I can tell you about Damasina is really from not knowing her personally, but knowing her more archetypally and more from the lens of her amazing work as an astrologer. She's part of the 13 Moon Mystery School. We're both trained in that lineage. And she's been part of the Priestess Presence Temple for the last few years. And Every time that Damasina makes a post about what's going on or it speaks into her own journey and what's revealing itself to her through the mystery school of astrology and magic and alchemy, I'm always blown away by what she writes. You're a beautiful writer, sister, and and I know that... um, I'm not alone in that because oftentimes people will share her posts with me and say, did you see what Damasina wrote today? And I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> so, you know, really and truly, you, you've had a deep influence on me, on the temple, on all of us, I think, with your lensing and your astute, subtle awareness of energy and the way in which it constellates and incarnates in and through us. So with that said, I am here today to talk to Damasina and we, this year, Damasina, I think more than uh, every any any other year of my life, I am aware of the strength of the astrological transits that are going on, and just how intense, um, we how intensely we're all being called forward. And so, I would love to just start by having a conversation with you about what's real right now. <laughs> what are we going through? And from your lens, what what are the the pieces for us to watch out for and look for in the next few months here in terms of what's happening for us as a collective. Yeah. So I think, I think one of the things that you and I really mm, have in common, or we've both spoken to in our own work is this piece about bringing our humanity mm-hmm. to our work, like, like to the divine. And mm-hmm. so we're in this really interesting portal now where Saturn has left, um, six years of being in his own home signs. He was in Capricorn and then he moved into Aquarius and now he's in Pisces, which is very watery and kind of ungrounded. It's very spiritual, but it's undefined. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's the void, it's the abyss. It's that water we travel before we incarnate and, and 
the water we travel on the way out of this incarnation. Mm -hmm. And so it can be hard to get our bearings, but then with this, call it a dimension of reality, Pisces. So then you have Saturn come in and Saturn is so um, connected to the mundane and to our sense of um, mastery and our, uh, our discipline and devotion and, and definitely um, just what it takes to be human. And the, the Pisces axis with Virgo being on the other side is really about embodiment and how we bring the spiritual into, into the vessel and, and contain it and not have it be so woo-woo and so out there. It's like going to be a call to really kind of chop wood, carry water. And so I think we're going to meet ourselves in a whole new way in, in this energy and kind of wake up to areas where we've been investing energy that's been kind of illusory or even where we've been not being very honest with ourselves. It's going to be a moment of kind of facing ourselves mm-hmm. having Saturn here. So yeah, I'm excited. This energy for me feels really good because there's, I play in the spiritual realms and in the cosmic realms all of the time. So to have an opportunity to like really firmly plant my feet on the ground for me feels, feels really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've been really thinking about that too, of what happens archetypally when, you know, lady I, I call her lady satin because i actually see her more in that kind of like that area of constriction and holding and bringing us down into the nitty-gritty of the form right and she's kind of be got gets a bad rap as being kind of like you know dry and over demanding and kind of that saturian energy of picking at things but i also see that the, the beauty of this energy of being able to deepen down into structure and form and refine the structure and form and to see how efficiently and effectively is it actually working or not, right? And then you've got Pisces and the water coming and all the dreams that we want to actually ground into reality. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to ground into reality through this next two two years, right? Is, Pis- is Saturn's going to be in Pisces? Is it two yeah. years or three years? Almost three years, yeah. Almost three. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I really kind of kind of feel the excitement alongside you as being one who is a creatrix and a manifester in the world of my visions and dreams. And for all of us who are listening, you know, this is a, this is an opportunity for the, us in feminine leadership, I think, to be redefining how we're leading and how we build the dreams into reality. Mm. So that really excites me. And then I know for everyone, everyone who is, anyone who's headed under a rock, <laughs> you might not know this, but if you speak any astrological language at all, you're also going to know that we've got this massive transit of Pluto, this massive Lord of the underworld energy moving into Aquarius. And I'm so curious what your take is on this, because I've been reading all kinds of things um, around, you know, I think it hasn't been in Aquarius, Pluto in Aquarius since the 1700s, like 1770 or something, right? So what is your archetypal take on this planet of Pluto? Because it's not a personal planet, it's a transpersonal planet, right? So right. maybe we should start there for people who don't speak astro, astrobabble, as we call it. What it. Who is Pluto in the mix? So Pluto is an underworld god, and he mm-hmm. precipitates underworld experiences. His job is to deconstruct the landscape. That he- <laughs> yeah, so so he's an initiator. He would be like an archetype of initiation. And, and you know, on a personal level, I like to say wherever Pluto is in your chart, he's just going to keep pulling you down until you get the lesson. It's like just... <laughs> 
pulled down into these um, underworld journeys. He he helps purify and detoxify, but through that action of deconstruction. So we talked about Saturn. If we were mapping him onto the um, 13 Moon Mystery School, I would see Saturn as the priestess archetype mm-hmm. and, and Pluto as the creator, preserver, destroyer. He's He's just got this action of like taking apart so that um, we can rebirth something. Mm. So that kind of mystery school lesson of death and rebirth. And so bringing that to the realm of Aquarius then, so Capricorn is like closed systems. It's like corporations, hierarchy, government, anything that's like centralized power. Mm. Mm. And Aquarius then is anything that's been kicked out of the closed system. The heretics. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody who lives on the edges, the exiles, all of that. So archetypally has to do with the innovators, the artists, the um, anybody Mm. who's into doing something that's outside of the status quo. And the energy in Aquarius is very liberatory. It's very revolutionary. It wants to individuate from the closed system. Um, and so bringing Pluto here is, is an interesting, deep and heavy mix. The shadow of Aquarius is kind of that transhuman AI, um, losing our humanity. Aquarius can be associated with like UFOs and space and all kinds of innovative, robotic, more than human experiences. Wow. And I think we can see that technology has just, as as we've gotten closer and closer to the age of Aquarius, technology has just really ramped up its ability of what it can do. And so now we're being faced with like, is this good? Is this right? Is this where we want to be headed? And do we lose our humanity in the face of this? Or how do we hold on to our humanity in the face of this? So that's why I see Saturn and Pisces right now as being kind of a a balancing or uh, grounding aspect as Pluto's beginning his trek through here. And I have this really Mm. profound practice that I'm working with, with Aquarius and Pisces that's, that's been extraordinarily um, life-shifting for me. And it's about Mm. beauty and glamour magic because Aquarius would rule glamour magic, right? Like any kind of cultivated beauty, beauty that is, um, or like advertising, anything that takes you out of your body has an agenda or a hook or manipulation attached to it. So it's like curated. It's not quite real. Mm. And then playing with, with all these images I have coming at me all day, what is real beauty? And so it's like in the unposed photograph, in the grimacing face of a mother who's just given birth, in an imperfect piece of landscape or scenery, like where a flower grows through a crack, you know, like this to like, there's a, there's a definite um, Mm -hmm. energetic signature that real beauty has when it lands in the body versus um, when I'm looking at glamour magic has a different energetic signature. And so it's been this practice of discernment of truth because glamour magic wouldn't exactly be truth. It's curated. It's got an agenda attached to it. And so it's been really fun to play with this muscle as I think it's a muscle we'll need moving through Pluto going into Aquarius. Like, is this real? Is this, is this what I'm looking at actually real? Because so much of what we're going to be faced with is those 
deep fake videos. You know, you can really make anything appear real nowadays. So what sensory organ are we going to be using to discern what is true and what is untrue? It's it's got to be the muscle of our body. Yeah. Wow, Damasina, that's such a fascinating take on where we're at. And no wonder we're all feeling the stress of that because it takes me back to like, you know, two, three years ago with the whole Trump era and the whole era of fake news, right? Where that became a thing. Whereas Mm -hmm. previous to that, I mean, we knew we were being kind of, you know, yes, it had a slant to it or a point of view to it, but the idea that it was completely fabricated Mm, or the idea that we could make it up now to the degree where you couldn't actually discern or tell what was real and what wasn't. I think that really threw us into a deep underworld beginning of this plutonic shift because obviously pluto moves incredibly slowly through the sky because what every 200 years 300 years we get a transit of pluto so this is a this is a this has not happened in you know many generations we haven't had a pluto transit moving so now the fact that it's moving into aquarius and this conversation and we're seeing it right suddenly we've got chat gpt suddenly we've got all this ai stuff flooding in to uh and 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 some of it's incredibly helpful and some of it has a real deep ethical question around who we are as humans mm-hmm. and and what our journey of spirituality is about and so i i love to actually transit into another question for you which i know is part of your ministry in the world which is really to do with what is it to incarnate here and i mm-hmm. think that the mystery of incarnation and who we are as humans is really up, is going to be more and more up for debate and inquiry. And mm-hmm. I think maybe we could just go into that conversation. I know it's a question you love to, 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 to noodle on, but for me, as you started off by saying, we both have kind of a fascination with the spirit becoming flesh, like this journey of imminence of coming down and in to our bodies and into our humanity, and that it's actually that journey that we're uniquely designed to take. But I think that in the last few hundred years, a few thousand years, really, we've lost the understanding of what the journey of incarnation is. We've always been told we need to transcend our humanity. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your, your take on that, because I think it's, it's really going to become something that we're going to have to grapple with. Yeah, and it is such an age of Aquarius question. Right. You know, we've, we've lived in this kind of like historical story or narrative where we really needed groups and tribes to survive. It, it's just, it's how it has been. But we're mm-hmm. now like on this cusp of the American dream, which is an, an archetype in and of itself, this mm-hmm. path or storyline that you can be, do whatever you want to be, which was never a question for our ancestors. There wasn't this kind of open menu of being able to do and be and and kind of create yourself almost as your own brand and we're moving into that, that <laughs> idea like, that. like who am I as a brand and um, <laughs> I, I think it's very exciting when you bring in the mystery of incarnation there's just so many juxtapositions or polarities happening so like our immediate ancestors would have tried to conform and it's Mm. it's it's an innate thing you know we need to have belonging to survive and so children try to belong and so that's an external orientation it's Mm. looking outside of ourselves and trying to conform 
or fit into a box so that we'll have love and belonging. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the, but the mystery of incarnation is bigger than that because we're here, and as an astrologer, I can see this when I'm looking at a natal chart, we're here to embody these archetypal contracts that we came in with. Mm-hmm. And if we're always externally oriented and trying to conform to these pieces just for survival, we don't really hit on all of the archetypal lessons that we're here to learn. And so evolution takes longer. So I think this kind of age of Aquarius and the mystery of incarnation will begin to speed up evolution. And I think we're seeing that a little bit. I I, I don't talk to anybody who doesn't think the timeline has Mm. increased. Mm. And so when people ask me, will you look at my chart and tell me what I'm supposed to be doing? What's the the purpose of my life? And it's like, well, really, truly, the purpose of your life is to be you. And so it's this, it's, it's coming in and sitting in the seat of the self and bringing that like soul self forward mm. and embodying yourself. Like, I, I know I, there's, there's not great language around this. We don't have it. Language kind of dampens down the phenomena right. that I'm talking right. about. But, but there's this way that like when we are so filled with the essence of who we are, then no agenda can take us over. We, we continue to create and, and we become mm-hmm. vessels of like creation with universal energy. But when we're devoid of our mission, purpose, and intention in this life, because we're externally oriented and we're looking to the world to define who we are, or we're, we're in an orientation where we're afraid to lose belonging. So we're conforming to somebody else's idea of what a person might be. Whether it's like I identify as mother and so I'm going to do all of the things that the archetype of mother does. That takes us outside of the essence of really the self and the self getting to sing its song. And then an emptiness or a vacuum kind of comes in because we're not really occupying that space in the same way we would be if we were more devoted to to really... um, Bringing forward our human, like, oh gosh, there's so, this is such a long answer. I'm trying to make it. Sustained. It's okay. No, it's great. <laughs> um, it, it is, it's about embodying humanity and, and really stepping beyond the archetype. Like, I think sometimes we, we get into these roles, archetypes are sort of a projection of perfection. They mm-hmm. embody the pure pattern of the thing. So if we want to be a good mother, we've got an idea of what good mother is. And then it's this perfect role and we have to step outside of ourselves and go up. It's kind of the Christian idea mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. transcendence to, to fill the role here. And then we, it's almost negating our own humanity and our own incarnation when we do that because we're abandoning some piece of ourselves to fit into a role. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the mystery of incarnation is learning to come back in and really love and, and, and own all of the self. And we do that through, um, we do that through acknowledging, not just in a neutral way that like taboo stuff turns up like, like it's okay. Like, like some women have had um, shame because of sex or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, you know, they, they try to reform themselves and become a good girl. And then there's this journey of reclamation where it's like, oh no, that's okay. Actually, I'm going to be okay that I had this past and I'm going to reclaim it in this neutral way. 
Mm. And I think the mystery of incarnation is just one step further. Mm. And that it's not just reclaiming in a neutral way, like, okay, I accept that that was part of my past. But it's actually looking at the fact that we love a lot of the naughty stuff we did. You know, we love it. Like sometimes I'm I'm rude and afterwards I'm like, wow, it's really rude. It doesn't fit my ego's a- idea of who I am. But there is certainly something in my human that's like, I love that. Like I <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. I made a mess, you know, in doing it. But there's some impulse thing inside of me that loved doing that. And so it's kind of this work of playing with all these pieces and pulling all the threads and and coming into a real love affair with our own humanity so that the vessel is full of us and we're not Mm. able to be hooked by other people's agendas. And and, and I love that idea. I love that idea. Um, So as you're speaking, you know, I love that you said it's really hard to talk about this, what it means to be full of ourself, right? Because even saying full of yourself is actually denoted as being something that's bad and wrong and something to be ashamed of. You're full of yourself. I mean, that was like in England when I grew up, that was the height of like, you need to be ashamed of yourself and go go sit in the corner now because you're too full of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And we have that notion like, but people are too full of themselves. Well, that's the, usually that reaction is to the false self, to the trying, mm-hmm. putting on, right? Of like the, the, the attempt, like you said, to be the something. Yeah, yeah. The, it's performative. What you're talking about is to be permeated and saturated so deeply in the truth of who you actually are and to have allowed all of the expression of that, that that is what actually is the gift that you bring. And it is full, and this is where I my love affair with humanity, it's full of extreme oppositions and contradictions. And I think that's where astrology comes in so handy, as mm-hmm. does any archetypal mapping. And you, like me, we, we both love maps, clearly, right? We love maps. Good, love a good map. Mm-hmm. I've seen, so, you know, I've had a love affair with astrology my entire life because it's another map like the 13 Moon Mystery School, like the Tarot, like, you know, there's hundreds of different maps that we could go to. But the one with astrology for me has been such a great guide. And, and for those of you who don't know this language very much, you might want to consider getting a reading because honestly, if you're fascinated like me, by archetypal reality, by by alchemy, by magic, by the feminine arts, astrology really is for you. But this is what I've discovered, um, Damascena, and I think it's um, you know it's the art of alchemy, right? So I could say you know just in a in a thumbprint, right? I'm a Leo, Leo rising with three other planets in Cancer in the twelfth house. Mm. Okay, you'll understand what that means. Astro babble alert. What it basically means is is that we're all full of contradictions. Because I've got this big ass Leo energy. You're seeing me in it right now. I'm out there in the world doing my thing. But my inner nature is not that at all. (laughs) And actually, I'm in the Leo mystery school this lifetime learning how to be a Leo. I'm learning how to be a Leo. That's what I'm up to. And so I'm experimenting sometimes clumsily, sometimes with great success and sometimes with not such great success to find out what it means to be here for myself. Mm -hmm. And I want many of you to listen to this because when you look at your chart, you're going to see. For me, I've spent God knows how many lifetimes being there for other people, taking mm-hmm. care of everybody. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn this lifetime how to have a self. Yes. And that's been a really hard journey for me because Mike Wiring says, and you'll see it, I'm in the community of a massive amount of people that I'm 
apparently mothering and taking care of and creating community and creating connection and belonging and tribe and all of the stuff that I've done. But that's actually not what my, my, my soul's purpose. I'm good at it, but my actual soul's purpose is a little bit different. And that has been a revelation to me over the years of understanding what you exactly what you're talking about, which is like, sometimes the things that we're really good at are not actually the things that we're here to learn how to do for our own soul's evolution. Can you talk about that? Because you're nodding. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. You're you're actually kind of explaining the essence of what the nodal axis is in, uh-huh. in a way. Yeah, and the so north south node, right? Yes. Yeah. If we're if we're if for people who are listening, maybe I'll use that to map on the answer. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We have in our charts. Um, this evolutionary axis, it's called the nodal axis. We have a north node and a south node. The south node denotes like our karma and all of the mastery we came into the world with. Right. And the north node denotes kind of the place we're going, the lessons we need to learn, the the areas that will be kind of thrown in the rock tumbler in this lifetime. Ooh. And we have, like, we can't not go there. We have to. We're, we're right. just we're driven to go there. But so we have a lot of mastery with the South Node. So it isn't an area we we tend to spend a lot of our time trying to learn. We'll find that we go after the rock tumbler stuff. And that's and and that's <laughs> this axis is like the mystery of incarnation, like seriously, in the sense that the South Node we think of as the point of incarnation. So it's like what we came in with and then what we need to learn. And I love that you brought in this idea of maps and because I think astrology really is mm-hmm. our own mystery school map mm-hmm. of the evolutionary and the alchemy and all of the, the karma. And if you, if you believe in that kind of thing, that, that we're here to learn in this lifetime, it's a very precise curriculum. It's almost like a mandate in a sense. So let's ask you, Demosina, just as an example, where's your South Node? Where's your North Node? Give us the archetypes that those sit in, just so we understand, and I'll share mine. And you all could look up yours and share them with me. I'd love to know, because I think that this, just this one aspect for me has been revelation. You know, it's been a revelation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so I'm a South Node Pisces and a North Virgo. So I think that's part of why I'm so excited about the Saturn and Pisces. Of course you are. Like like I'm really comfortable in the unknown. I think part of why I like playing with maps is because I'm really okay not having one, which is just a big journey to overlay. Like what, Mm -hmm. who are you when you throw out the map and when you're in the unknown? Um, I'm also adopted in a closed adoption. So I think, you know, like my life has just been kind of a mystery. Yeah, steeped in like puzzle themes, and I'm just—it's kind of okay, like that. Uh, my my tough stuff, and like I said before we started talking, I'm not a very organized mom. <laughs> has been the Virgo stuff, like 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 the the refinement and the um, needing to be organized and and learning discernment and and how do you separate the wheat from the chaff when you're somebody who's yeah. so used to playing in the like foggy generalities of life like how do I really something into existence using um the fine Ariel uh had a great way of of Uh putting I map it on to Virgo Pisces she she might have used it in a different sense but she said you know Pisces is like the 
light from a flashlight. Like when you shine it, it's kind of diffuse, right? Yeah. yeah. And then Virgo is like the laser pointer. Uh-huh. It coalesces. The energy is very laser precise. So my lessons are in precision this lifetime. And how do I thread all that really general foggy Pisces energy and lessons and like put it through the needle, like the eye of the needle on the other side. So those are my lessons. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I just want to overlay 13 Mm -hmm. moon mystery school work because you all know that that's one of my lineages that I really am deeply steeped in. But when you're speaking about this, I just got an aha moment, Damascena, which is, of course, like Virgo is the archetype of the priestess, right? That's her Mm -hmm. archetypal resonance. And her opposite is the Pisces energy. But really what you're doing in this lifetime is alchemizing Pisces and Virgo together because in the priestess energy, we want to be in the water element. Mm -hmm. We want to have diffusion of energy. We want to pick up all the symbols, but we also want to hold that incredible focus of attention Mm -hmm. and be able to decode the mystery through the eye of the needle. And I have never made that connection with the Pisces-Virgo axis before. That just turns me, see, I love this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and I feel like Pisces is the realm of the all. So it's like the big store and like, you're like, you're choosing... (laughs) precise thing that you want to purchase yeah it's there's there's something really interesting i kind of think of pisces as the realm of the weaver dreamer you yeah. know the, the yeah. realm of dreams. and so like how am i pulling whatever dream it is that i want to manifest and and threading it through that very fine virgo needle i love it so Everyone want you, you, this is very easy to look up. You can do it for free on all these different apps online to find out where your north node is and where your south node is. Basically, wherever your north node is, it's going to be diametrically opposite on the on the chart. So, mm-hmm. so this will this this will share. I'll share mine because archetypally, when I learned about this, it was like, oh, now this makes sense. So I'm a Libra south node and an mm-hmm. Aries north node. And so for me, the whole journey has been about, it's okay to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I have a, you know, the whole history of Libra, harmony, relationship, partnership, diplomacy, etiquette, culture, refinement, you know, Aries doesn't give a damn, going to do it anyway, is going to pioneer out there, going to ruffle all the feather, feathers, is very independent, very individually oriented. Right. And people with like, who have that, Aries North Node are projected on a lot and uh, deep sized. It's like there's there's this less because Libra is the hall of mirrors and where we, yeah. we we live in the land of projections and we have to figure out how to have relationships with people <laughs> by removing the projection and actually meeting essence soul to essence soul. Yeah. And so you get kind of lost in there. Yeah. And then yeah, Aries is about separating ourselves out from the projections, being the self with no additions, no subtractions, that I am energy, right. the essence of who I am. But you deal with a lot of projections right. on that journey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's uncomfortable too, because mm-hmm. Aries is so bombastic. It can be, I mean, it's yeah. charming and assertive and wonderful. And I've had a lot to learn from that Aries energy, but it's also, it's confronting because, you know, it does separate out and say, here I am. And yeah, I'm going to do it this way. And I'm actually ahead of the curve over here. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to push your energy out there very fiery. It's a very intense fire energy. And so 
you know, you can just look at this for yourself individually and, and just sort of see where you map onto this journey and how it might inform your consciousness. One of the other things I've been dying to ask you about, Damasina, is a lot of what you've been writing in the last year or so has been about your journey. And mm. I want to really thank you for being so generous in sharing what has been an incredibly difficult bereavement journey that I know that you've been on out there in the world. Mm. Uh, I want to invite you to share whatever you want to share about that. But from my lensing, one of the things that I've so valued about your writing, and you're just a fantastic writer, but your writing is is that you've really let us into the journey of losing one of your children and and what it has meant for you to walk through the grief and the death mother and through these places that I we don't get to talk about, that people don't talk about in polite company, the kind of taboo area of our humanity, which is, of course, so real for all of us because all of us are going to experience this kind of loss. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you in this moment where you are on the journey and, and what you've been really learning over the last year, two years here in that journey? Yeah, losing him, all of the, like, if I could talk about it from the higher perspective, because there's the human side, you know, and and I don't want to negate that. So let's say what I'm speaking of is kind of like the soul stuff. Mm. Um, It's really strengthened my faith, you know, and, and a lot of the things that I, believed were true um mm. have been verified for me wow. in a, yeah and um in in the sense that there is an afterlife and there is there is there is something really karmic and we do have a true purpose and that's that's i think what has strengthened wow. my wanting uh, wanting to work around incarnation mm. is that the the year leading up to tanner's death i had gotten really interested in death and I, I just followed the breadcrumbs. I thought it was me wanting to uh, overcome that because of the pandemic. It brought up a lot of stuff. But really what I was doing was kind of creating a container for myself to receive the news in, which was helpful. I'm glad I listened to that kind yeah. of nudge from the universe. And when I track back like the last six months of his life, I can see that karmically things were moving in this particular direction. Like our relationship had gotten so sweet. I mean, there were so many gifts, Mm. so much grace involved in the last six months. So many like love notes between him and I, so many things that had to happen just specifically the way they did to Mm. bring us where we were. And, um, Mm. Yeah, grieving has been a really interesting exercise in holding polarities because the human self is in such a state of suffering and story in a sense, like there's mm. a lot of story involved. Um, and then, and then also knowing that there's this whole big mythological, karmic, meant to be destined story happening at the same time and holding both of those polarities has been I mean, nothing short of like hugely expansive yeah, and, yeah. and incredibly difficult, you know? So, um, I think, I think one of the things that happened right away mm. was, and, and something that contributed to my son not being here was that he had a tough time receiving love. Like it was just one of 
one of his things that he dealt with. He was armored. And I remember right after him dying, hearing him very clearly say to me, mom, if you just open right now to love, I'll make sure you have enough. And 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 so I did. I, I just was like, anytime somebody said, can I do this for you? I said, yes. Can I pray mm-hmm. for you? Yes. Can I send you something? Yes. And um, I, I'm, I'm not like that. Normally I'm like, nope, I'm strong. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about me. I've got this, I- this independent. But no, I really let people support me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was filled with love. And so the, the on one hand, mm-hmm. sharing his journey has felt mm-hmm. um, like a way of weaving his soul on the planet, like continuing to honor his legacy. But on the other hand, it's been about the kind of generative cycle of love that happens when you allow yourself to be witnessed in a, in a really kind of sacred place, a tender place, there's something just so, um, yeah, it's a generative cycle. I don't know. There's something about the principle in the sacred witness and what they're doing together and me playing the role of the principle, but allowing the witnessing to happen. So it's been a sort of survival. Like this has kept filling my cup every time it empties in like the, the suffering I don't think grief is suffering. I think the mental stuff is the suffering, Mm -hmm. but you get caught in it anyways because you're human, you know? Right, right. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing for you to have heard that, well, number one, that there's so much that comes when somebody close to us dies. You know, Mm -hmm. a child I cannot compare to because I I have not had that experience, but I, I lost a I don't know if you knew of this, but just in December, I lost a, a really one of the loves of my life, a, a deep beloved of mine who committed suicide in dis, in November. Mm. And I'm still, you know, where are we now? We're in March. Yeah, it's still very fresh for me. I mean, the intensity of the grief that was the first couple of months after he chose to do that has subsided, right? It's not on the forefront of my existence, but this place that you're speaking of around the connection of understanding the purpose. I think I'm, I'm understanding the purpose he played in my life and the purpose he had in being here so much more deeply since he passed, since he's mm-hmm. no longer here in form. And those messages, like you said, like Tana gave you that message, if you could just open to the love. And I've had similar kinds of messages that have been really about about actually him being available to support me so much more deeply now that he's not here in form. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to cry. But yeah. the, um, the actually our relationship was not bound by this realm at all. No. And never was. No, yeah. And there's no way to know that until somebody that you have truly loved has gone. Mm-hmm. And I, this is my first experience because, and, and it sounds bizarre, right? Because I lost my mom, but my relationship with my mom was so difficult that there wasn't that unconditional love. Like we didn't have that experience together. With this being, that's why he's one of the loves of my life, because I had that experience of touching that place of unconditional love. And I think there's something so mystical to me about that that cannot be explained by the rational mind because it doesn't work 
in this third dimensional reality, how can it? And it changed everything about how I see this life. Yeah. That's the, that's, there's a couple things in grieving that have been like, just, just gigantic to me. And I think, you know, Mm. I got the hit very early on to throw out any map. So I didn't go looking for a grief map. I didn't join a parent's club. (laughs) I realized that comparing myself to the archetype of a grieving mother was making me feel like I didn't love him enough. And so there's, there's this, this kind of permission you get when you're a grieving mom, especially, but any kind of griever gets this like permission to step outside of normal life. And I have just, I've grabbed onto that with everything I've had. Like, no, fuck it. Or, excuse me. Sorry. No, I don't have permission. <laughs> You're okay. You can F-bomb in the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm shitting on myself. No, get up, go to work. But in yeah. this particular portal, I've given myself a ton of permission to just kind of follow whatever is and go into that, like, that multidimensional love place because the constructs of my mind allowed me to, because I mm. let go of any 3D map. It's like when once you start mm. giving yourself wild permission, mystical things are possible in places that they wouldn't normally be. And I think, you know, this the gift of of grieving. Someone asked me recently, and this kind of answers your question about where I am right now. Like, if you could press a button, would you get rid of your grief? And I'm like, no, I love it. I love it. I love how connected I feel to him inside of my grief. I love the kind of soulgasm that grief gives you Mm. when it's disconnected from story. Like when you can set all of the mental stuff aside that the mind goes into about the person, their life, how you showed up for them. Did you do a good enough job? Whatever. But if you throw that all out and you get down just to the physical stuff, there's so much eros in grief it reconnects you to life, you know, like, yeah. like that's the gift that Tanner has given me. I think I was so checked out um, with like the pandemic and just caring for kids and the daily grind yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and all of the um, demands my ego had about how to show up in life and how much work and the, you know, the petty tyrant that lives inside of us. It's that like grief has given me this gift that has reconnected me completely to life and to this, like, I can feel the bottom of my heart again. And I don't mm. feel like I could feel that for a decade maybe before this. And it's so amazing. it's like my precious boy has gifted oh. me such a, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, it, there's some really mythic stuff in here, like, like the Jesus Mary stuff and like, like what Jesus gifted to the world and like i i feel that in my son and the I, idea of the the actual sun yeah the, the sun on my skin reminds me of my son and i feel like there's such a gift even in that like how we're fed and oh. in, in in some of these dark places and and just holding all the juxtapositions of i feel it i feel it yeah. so strongly as you're saying it and uh, you know, there's a. I'll I'll just tell a little a little snippet of a story because it, it comes up as you're talking, and it's one of those unexplainable, unexplicable, inexplainable moments. And it was that we had we had created a memorial service for Oscar, and um, 
And I was kind of standing as proxy as his beloved partner because he didn't have anyone in his life after me. And this was one of the storylines was, and I kind of knew that that was going to be the case, but we hadn't been together for nearly 20 years. It'd been a long time. Um, we were telling stories of him and it was in his favorite bar and it was like, a, it was a party, which it would have been for him because he was a larger than life character who loved to party and loved to do extraordinary wild things. He was, he was right on that cusp between Capricorn and Aquarius. And he had both those energies, right? He was one of those. And I had a lot of those in my life, a lot of the 19th, 20th of January people. And I'm not quite sure why, but there they are. And th there was this moment and we had this, I had bought this amazing urn for his ashes and it was a cosmic urn and it had all the cosmos, all the galaxy on the urn, right? So totally appropriate. And we're winding up the memorial service and I turn around and I see this really curious character walk into the bar and he's dressed in full on leather motorbike gear, but kind of really hip looking. And he's like a little bit shorter than me and he's, um, African-American or some mix going on in there, but he's, he's out of place. He doesn't fit in. Like he's looking like he's like a mythic character. He's uh -huh. got like the sunglasses on, like the Morpheus sunglasses on. He's got the leather hat on and a bandana. And he strides straight up to me and he says, what's going on here? Takes me by the hand, flourishes me with this big bow, kisses my hand and says to me, where are we going? And I look at him and I say, um, well, I said, we're in the middle of memorial service for my ex-beloved over here. And this is his urn. And here's a picture of him. And sure enough, the picture of him was of him dressed as a gangster with a big cigar in his mouth. So he was also an archetypal energy, right? <laughs> this dude starts to dance me around the space. Mm. There's no music happening. This is exactly what Oscar used to do when he was alive, when we were together. He would dance anywhere with me. Didn't matter if there was music on or not. Okay, so here's the overlay. This guy then helps me carry the urn, Oscar's ashes, out to my car because I'm bringing it back to my house. And he's intimating that he has his motorbike and we should just ride off into the sunset together because clearly we're meant to be together, right? Like this is, and, 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 and he's like courting me in a very old fashioned kind of chivalrous way exactly how Oscar courted me when mm. we were alive together, right? We get to my car. I put the ashes in my car and some other things. And he's standing behind me and I turn around to say something to him and he is gone into wow. thin air. I look up and down the street. There's no one to be seen. I go back into the bar and I say, to the first person I say, did you see a guy in black leather is kind of eccentric looking who was riding a big ass motorbike? And they said, no, I never saw anybody that looked like that. Mm. I firmly believe. Of course. I firmly believe that he was a soul fragment of Oscar. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just so extraordinary. And even as I retell the story, it's like my rational mind goes, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But in the magic of that moment where we had invoked this person so strongly into the space, of course he was going to show up. Yeah. To his own party. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the, this is what grief opens us to, right? And it's like, yeah. and I treasure that because mm -hmm. that to me was the proof. That was the proof. That was it. It was like, he's right here with me and he's going to incarnate through and come through other wild characters that are going to mm -hmm. come into my path 
to let me know that this is the love. We're going to dance like there's, you know, dance like there's always music playing, you would say, because there always is somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, I really believe that whatever the soul incarnates, like the the contract you have, like obviously you guys had a deep contract in this life. Like they stay around to help you carry that out. So even 20 years from now, he'll still be showing up to keep you on that particular path to keep you whatever that is. Because Tanner shows up for me in that way too, through other people, through, you know, synchronicities. And it's clear it's him. I have a deep gnosis, you know, like like I used to do that in the beginning, like, yeah, that's nuts. And and discredit. Uh my gnosis. And then after a while, it's happened so many times in such precise ways. There's just, there's no way any of it's a coincidence. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, it's, it's that way that like, we know that there just is something so much bigger than us happening. And, and that's what I mean when I say it reconnects me to life, like Mm. grieving reconnects me to that, like that dimension, like like real arrows, life force, the energy that is fed, like from other dimensions into this one and to know that my love can penetrate mm. that and mm. tra- I mean it's so big that it can travel beyond you know our atmosphere our universe into other dimensions it's 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 left me feeling mm. quite empowered honestly like to know that my I, I understand vessel carries love that yeah. can travel that far it's yeah I really yeah. understand that and and and, and it you're saying it yourself from your own story with Tanner. And, you know, obviously within that, there's the, you know, the fact that he was your child and you birthed Mm. him through your body. So of course there's this never ending umbilical cord that connects you through time and space, right? Which Mm. on that level, and there's something so fascinating that Demetina about, you know, this is the work that we do with the queen of death, right? In the archetype of the queen of death, that it's really through coming to peace with the death that we are able to be more fully alive, that the Eros energy Mm. really expands. And I really felt that the gift of that, you know, like the gift of Oscar dying, even in the way that he chose to die, I have been able to go from the trauma of, oh, the suicide and, you know, and he chose to hung himself and it just that whole thing. And yet now I see the nobility yeah. of what he chose. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really understand his choice and, and that there was some dignity in that for him. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, no, I think, go ahead, kind of, no, no, no. But it's kind of a wild thing to say because it actually turns it on his head, but I was really thinking about the tarot card of the hanged man and what that tarot card speaks to, which is a complete change in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important you saying what you just said too, because the, you know, I've run into in my own mm. grief journey, like some there's there's taboo things that you can't right, say right. when you're a griever. And, <laughs> and then you have to qualify them as like, I know it sounds nuts, but I think this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you're I, so right. You're so yes, right. It's like it's like then then your expression is shut down, and then we 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 get off the path of the the mystery of incarnation, right? Right. So we're here to to, to really fully embody. And in some of the conversations I've had lately, I've said, I said, well, you know, somebody's asked, do I accept that my son died? And I said, well, not only do I accept it, but but I love it. And and they're like, whoa, that's strange because. Not in the sense that it's my preference, 
But in the sense that I love my son so much and his story is so deep and his death is part of his life and to get the real gift of it, the love is the honoring. Like I can love the, the incarnation he chose and the path that he chose and, and really have such deep reverence for all it's here to show me and, and, and the ancestral switch or the kind of like switch between him being my child and now being my teacher. And it, it, it's, it's really profound, but you don't get that unless you get to the, the part beyond even acceptance, but like, this is mine. So I love it. It's my story. It's my story with him. And, and so I'm going to tend it. And Thank it. you for speaking to that, because I think that this place, that's what I've always um, felt from your writing and from your transmission that you put out there. And I think it's such an important piece to underscore that there's that there's a real taboo in that. But you're yeah. actually speaking to the real truth experience of when we allow ourselves to be taken by grief. And to be demolished by it and to be, you know, that's that creator to destroy a preserver piece, right? Where it comes and it just knocks everything down. Mm -hmm. And if we can be with that, really be with that, then there's some something so deeply mystical and alchemical that takes place that your soul, my soul, our soul yearns for, which mm -hmm. is the deeper mystery of life and death and rebirth that we can't begin to really speak to from this position in consciousness. It is just a knowing. It's like the gnosis. Mm -hmm. and, and my involvement in Oscar's death process and, and his leaving and anoint, I went and anointed him at the morgue. And, I, you know, just, it was bizarre because had you said to me a few months before that, you, this is what you're going to be doing, I would have had no clue that I was going to be initiated. He was an, he, he initiated me through his death mm -hmm. into the deeper level of the mirrors, into the deeper level of the death mysteries, into the deeper level of what my work is in the world. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and he was the one who really set me free from being in relationship with him so that I could pursue being a priestess in the world. You know, like he's been in, he was integral to my journey of being where I am. And, mm -hmm. and I, there's no way for me to have anticipated that. And I think that when our life throws us these kinds of curveballs that are so intense, to be able to hold it within the fabric of the perfection of the seemingly horrifyingly imperfect moment is part of what our journey of incarnation actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's, like you said, again, taboo speak about because we're meant to stay in the, oh, this is awful. This is horrifying. This is terrible. Well, yeah, of course it is. No one would ever wish it on you. No one would ever say, oh, I choose that. Oh, that's really have that experience. But the fact that it is what it is and you have created what you've created from it and you've been bestowed with grace through it mm. is testament to your alchemical work. So I just really want to witness you in how you've modeled holding that in the world and how you've let other people see you do that. Yeah. It's a real you. gift. It's a real gift. And it's been a gift to me to, to witness you and then to go through my own experience, very different, but again, in that same realm. Yeah. And, um, and to realize 
this is what it means to be here, actually, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, I could carry on talking to you forever, Mm -hmm. my love. It's just such a beautiful conversation. So I'm sure we'll have you back on to continue some of these other conversations into the realms of all of the mysteries of life. But we should probably finish it up for today. So I've got a couple questions for you because Red, Mm -hmm. who is the sponsor of this program, (laughs) she, (laughs) her, the Red, The Magdalene Consciousness, her, her, her. She has these questions that she said, okay, you're going to do the Rave podcast and you're going to make sure you ask everybody these questions. So my first question for you is, Damasina, what are you devoted to? To the mystery of incarnation. (laughs) You know, I think being happy and not knowing where I'm from and, and, having such a blank slate to explore all the cracks and crevices of my own incarnation and what I'm doing here. And yeah, all of that is, mm-hmm. is my highest devotion. And I know that part of it is love. I don't think the mystery of incarnation is ever divorced from love in any way. Yeah, or so yeah, yeah blend those two. Love, <laughs> love it. Okay. Second question. What do you avoid, but secretly yearn to express? How much I love men, I think. No, seriously, yeah. I think that it's become taboo to talk about how much we mm. love and are devoted to men. I think men are suffering because of that. I think I sometimes mm. hold back because it's not very feminist or something like that. So I think I long to express more about how mm. much reverence and love and honoring I'd like to give to the men in my life and in the world that's beautiful yeah that's beautiful Mm -hmm. and then the third question is what is the most revealing thing about you that you hide i'm sorry i'm really i'm stumped (laughs) i don't i like to think i don't hide anything so and I know that that's very egoic. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's something. Um, <laughs> I love asking this question. I don't. <laughs> Say it one more time. Yeah. What is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? It feels like a Cohen. What is, what is revealing but that I hide? I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm going to let you sit with it. I'm yeah. yeah. Let you sit with it. Because okay. in some ways it is a Koan. And, yeah. and, I, I, and maybe this is an interesting one for us all to consider. Uh-huh. Is the whole nature between revelation and hiddenness. Uh-huh. So delicious. Right. It's like what is em- another way to maybe ask it, what is what is emergent within you? Oh. I feel like I sort of have an inner teenager emerging in me, a very kind of naughty and um 
I see her. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just been hitting under this like mother wife thing for a while. And yeah, I'm 43. My Uranus return or return is happening, and I feel the kind of Kundalini wanting to come out. Yeah, there the it is. Where I I've kind of been like, no, that's too much. You know, you, you can't <laughs> put in that much expression. So that's what I'm playing with right now. Is like, can I just let her out without worrying? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's it. See, sometimes you have to ask the question a hundred different ways before it will yeah. <laughs> right? However, it's a curious one to me because I'm really aware of that in you when you've been speaking today of how you lean into the edge of the taboo. Mm. You lean into, into the edge of the things that are not meant to be said, that you're not meant to say. And that has that rebellion or revolutionary edge or trickster edge of the Uranus energy. So that makes total sense to me that that's what you're leaning into. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, it brings up to, I think that another thing I'm devoted to is really having been in this place of wild permission. Mm. I'm kind of devoted to everyone having that. Yes. It's quite delicious to, to really step outside of all of the conditioning in, in such a radical way. We, we do mm. it inch by inch, but I've done it in this, like, and it's been revelatory. To yeah. So that to me is the Magdalene stream. Mm-hmm. Right there. That's who she is to me. That's one of her hallmark signatures is that um, wild permission is, is yeah. like, you know, the, the magic what if. Well, what if you just did that? What right. if you just let yourself do that? So my question to everybody who's listening to the podcast today is what are you going to give yourself wild permission to express mm-hmm. more fully in your life? Mm-hmm. That's my Leo question for you, because Leo is really the sign of self-expression. And when I had one astrologer once define it to me, she said, you're just meant to shine shamelessly yourself. You're just meant to sparkle yourself this lifetime. And I yes. looked at her like she had three heads. <laughs> yeah. to her, what do you, what does that even mean? And she said, that's your journey. And I was like, oh, heck. All right. You mean I don't have to work really hard and do all these things? And she said, you could do that too, but make sure that you shine within it. <laughs> well, there's something about innocence with Leo too. Like, like, like yes. how is, how it is, and, and shamelessness, like the yes. return to innocence. Yep. That's, and, that's and, it. That's yeah. it. And for all of us who've been shamed out of that innocence of our pure joy expression mm-hmm. of just you know, when you see a kid dancing in the street because they just want to dance or they want to have a tantrum and they have a tantrum and it's like, they're just in the innocence of it, right? It's like, it just is moving through like the weather. (laughs) So wild permission. That's really where we're leaving you all today. I want to just thank you, Damasina, for your time. It's been an absolute delight to travel through you, through, through you, through this realm. And for everyone else who's listening, you can stay tuned for yet another wild permission-giving red podcast coming up to you very, very soon with who knows who will be gracing the stage with me. Um, and if you would like to get in touch with me, you know how to, to let me know how you loved this episode. If you did love this episode, please go ahead and share it with someone else who you think could be enlightened by it. If you want to find Damasina, you can look onto my website page where the podcast is listed and you will find all of her details there. She's an incredible astrological reader. I highly recommend anything that you might have with her because clearly, as you can tell, she has some insights to drop. So my heart to yours, much, much love.
Bye for now. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As Red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings.